starting the... Okay, now that we're, we're getting podcasted every time we upload a sermon, both the people that listen to it uh, have to be owed a certain degree of respect. So now, smart aleck remarks, Chuck, John. <laughs> you heard me. Let's, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Watch over us as we move through this letter to the Galatians. We would like to know and hold to the faith that St. Paul saw and taught. In your son's name, amen. Okay, we are in Galatians chapter 4. Starting with verse 8, we got through verse 7 of chapter 4 last week. And um, as you know, as you've already experienced in the first three chapters of Galatians, there's a degree of aggression, shall we say, on Paul's part about various aspects that to one degree or another, you still to this day, 2,000 years later, are saying to yourself, I think Paul was just a little overreactive. I don't see the problem with the things he is suggesting. You don't see the problem. Many years ago, we were still meeting at the cabin. Um, Rosemary um, McRoberts uh, was visiting. And I was preaching something out of Paul and nothing untoward. She came up to me afterwards and said, uh, you know, Paul has a lot of difficult or problematic things. And I think she was probably referring to those liberal offenses that Paul has committed. And so I, I, I told Rosemary, I said, uh, Rosemary, I, I have a choice here. I, I either have to take Rosemary or St. Paul the Apostle or Rosemary or St. Paul the Apostle. And frankly, Rosemary, you're not St. Paul the Apostle. <laughs> now, a lot of people like to move their own either personal stock about how they'd like to run their Christian lives or other famous Christians or famous ministries, how they have run things, and they set them at odds, as traditions always will, be set at odds with the Word of God. Eventually, you'll be asked to set aside some aspect of what you know it says, over to the side, not stress it, at least minimize how important it seemed to the apostle. Now in the last, or the first part of the chapter, which I don't know if you remember from last week, in verse three of chapter four, so with us, when we were children, we were slaves to the elemental spirits of the universe. Well, that passage went by without a, it wasn't on our topic curve at that point, but it was anticipating what we're going to say here in this paragraph, saying we were slaves to the elemental spirits of the universe. And what you have to realize is what Christianity is. It isn't the culture that we have shaped over many millennia, well, two millennia, um, uh, into the basilica-shaped church and the pointy windows, or is it the famous Christians of old, or the 
or the church holidays or all the things that make Christianity give us a warm chestnuts by open roasting on an open fire or whatever it is you turkey on Thanksgiving and a Norman Rockwell painting everything that's right with the world that's good Christianity we don't we're not we're not in that business we're in the business of having met God and struck a deal with God regarding our souls and we need to know what that looks like because there will come a time and always has been a time when the church itself wages war on what God wants to do with you. Verse 8 of chapter 4. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were in bondage to beings that by nature are no gods. Okay? They were pagans. Galatians, Central Asia Minor. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and beggarly elemental spirits whose slaves you want to be once more? Remember those elemental spirits in verse 3? You were slaves to elemental spirits before. How can you turn back to the elemental spirits? Beings that are beings, but they're not by nature gods. I have on the side here from Acts 17, Paul's remarks in Athens. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. We have come to a place in our move from whatever you were, good church kid, to a Christian. The distinction between good church kid and a Christian is really almost no different from absolute pagan bowing down to Baal and becoming a Christian. Because in Paul's mind, it wasn't any different that these pagans in Galatia, who had been in bondage to these elemental spirits, that's exactly what the Jews were in bondage to. And what's confusing to him, this is the confusion St. Paul has. How can you, who have come to know God, or are known by God, how could you go back to this nonsense? That's the question on his mind. How could you, how could you hold that experience How could you hold that experience and have it dragged away from you and replaced by religion? And look at how he, look how he describes it. You observe days and months and seasons and years. Just because they aren't the pagan ones and now they're the Jewish ones doesn't make you more pious. It makes you just as wrong as you were before. How could you go back to that kind of structure the elemental spirits, now, uh, the elemental spirits, by the way, the word is stoicheion, it refers, it's an ancient concept of elemental principles uh, having to do with either uh, natural forces, earth, air, fire, and water, or planetary influence, that sort of thing, which you talk about in astrology, or the nature of those forces. 
And when people start to set up church calendars, you say, Evan, Christmas is coming. Don't say that. I like Christmas because I get stuff. I don't like Christmas because it's part of the church calendar and the baby Jesus and all the rest. I, I'm grateful for the baby Jesus, but not to make Christmas. Not to tie it. Christmas is a cultural thing. I don't want it to be part of my religion. It's not part of your religion. Christianity was never part of Christmas. Jesus Christ and Christianity is the gospel, not the holidays. I don't care how biblical or Christian you make them. Got Thanksgiving coming up. I hope you're thankful. Because Christians ought to be thankful. But Thanksgiving is not part of Christianity. The, the holiday. Christmas. Easter is not part of Christianity. Got it? But I want to have some... I'm just a Protestant. Can I have just three stinking days? I don't even want Halloween. Just Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter. Please, ever. You observe days, months, and seasons, and years. I'm afraid I've labored over you in vain. Now, this is not some obscure thought in Paul. Look at what I have out of Colossians. It uses the same word here. Chapter 2, Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one makes a prey of you by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe and not according to Christ. Further down in chapter 2, verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Now here in Galatians he says, I'm scratching my head here folks, because I thought you knew God and I thought you were known by God, but here you are, making a church calendar again, or following Jewish festivals and Sabbaths. Are you out of your mind? What does that have to do with anything? And then in Colossians he says, why are you living as if you still belong to the world? If you have been moved from the elemental spirits to Christ, this has no place in you. Why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things which all perish as they're used according to human precepts and doctrines. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting rigor of devotion and self-abasement and severity to the body, but they are of no value in checking the indulgence of the flesh. Now, you know that when I say, as pastor, now Evan's got weird views, Christmas has no part of Christianity. Easter has no part. It's the resurrection, Evan. Not each year, it's not. He was resurrected 2,000 years ago. This is a celebration. Happy to have one. We have a nice buffet. Okay? But it's not part of my Christianity. It's part of my need to have a meal. And on Easter, because it's, it's important to Christians, we like, we like having guests over. And, but don't make it part of the faith. Don't make the rules part of the faith. As soon as you make the rules a part of the faith, I don't care if you celebrate All Hallows. I like Christmas. We have a tree, Wotan tree worship in my living room. Lights. No mistletoe. None of that nonsense. Never have had mistletoe in our house, I don't think. 
once. <laughs> she could just make up anything. I don't remember my life. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, you can have all sorts of fun for all sorts of non-Christian reasons. But as soon as you start making it part of your piety, oh, believe me, the person who is defending Jesus in Christmas will look a lot better than your pastor currently does. Okay? Because it will have the appearance of wisdom. It will be more pious. We're making, we're putting Jesus back into, Christ back into Christmas, right? The bumper sticker, I always put Saturn back into Saturnalia. That's, there's no difference. That, that's uh, um, same day, as a matter of fact. Um, Paul's going, what are you doing? What kind of Christianity has come to know God and been known by the living God and has then raced off and built a religion of rules, of observances, Same phrases in Colossians. Paul's big on this. This is not an obscure thing for him. And Paul wonders, I'm afraid I've labored over you in vain. That the work of presenting the gospel in the Christian life to the Galatians didn't work. But everybody who's doing it, believe me, they think they've stepped into a life of greater piety. The more you have rules, the higher your valued order of life. And again, it doesn't matter whether it's pagan or whether it's Christian in its, in its history. You will feel that you've promoted a greater rigor of devotion, self-abasement. You can have fast days. Like fast days, I really like. There was a big trend in, in Christian circles last couple of years. Protestant, evangelical, you know, emergent type churches all running around town with an ash on their forehead. What are they, become Catholics? What are they? Oh, because they, it was a fast day. They're finally figuring out church calendar stuff. It, it's an, an immediate gimme. It's an immediate gimme. Have you come to know God? Do you know what this is about? Or are you vacant on what God can do in your life so you're about to go do something about it. And you don't want to go, you don't want to just go out drinking. You want to, you want to be a religious person. So you come in and you make a religion. Brethren, I beseech you, become as I am. Paul's saying, could you please look at this religion like I look at it? For I have also... For I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. We know nothing about this story, by the way. It may have occurred during his years in Cilicia prior to being picked up by Barnabas and taken to Antioch to serve the church. He spent 14 years off the grid. So he, Cilicia is just south of Galatia. And it could have been that during a a bodily ailment or on a trip he was made sick. We don't know what it is. Some people think it was an eye disease because of what he says next. 
And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What has become of the satisfaction you felt? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. That's what makes us think that there may have been an eye ailment, that, or at least that some sort of infection that blinded him or something. What has become of the satisfaction you felt? Some people think that becoming more churchy as they grow in grace is growing in grace. Far better for you to have a Bible study in your apartment with your friends. Far better to you be pursuing God and your knowledge of Him just as minimally and as basically as you can, but that pursuit is going on. As soon as you step through the doors of All Souls Christian Church, the pointy windows loom up on all sides, and you're done. You're toast. You say, this is the most unreligious church I have ever been in, Evan. So don't you worry about it. I'm still afraid. I always want to warn you about those. They're up to no good. Okay? And I'm standing right here under this pointed arch in front of the chancel with a balustrade. You don't get to use words like that in normal life. But because we're Christians, we can. And it makes us, we have pews. We've got a great deal on them. But you know this is, this is the road to Rome. Now I'm aware of it. I like this. I'm, I'm very grateful for this. But I want to do everything I can to keep you thinking as individuals who know God. Not that you know All Souls Christian Church and the slow incremental increase of falling back into the elemental observances. You say, I don't even know what that word was before this Sunday. Yeah, but every Christian has been up to it. We forget the satisfaction. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They, verse 17, they, that means these people who were disturbing the Gentiles in Galatia with their, come on over to the real devoted Christian existence, which still keeps some of the laws of Moses, keeps the Sabbaths, new moons. We're told very clearly that if you keep the new moons, the festivals, the Sabbaths. It, it, it's, it's a confusion to the real Christianity. That also in the, uh, where is it? I don't have it on the notes here, but I do bring my Bible, which you could bring, you know, Bible. So would you hand out the text there? It's also in chapter 2. It's in between these two verses I gave you. Chapter 2 of Colossians. Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are only a shadow of what is to come but the substance belongs to Christ. 
You are going to be have it whispered in your ear and not by the little angel. It'll be by the little devil on your shoulder. Why don't you get a little more religious? Won't it feel good to have your kids be a little more religious? Because if I can't get you to go get drunk or sleep around, I know what I'll do. I'll make Christ of no advantage to you. You will think you're standing closer to Christ. And you're bowing down to the old gods. They were were assigned to the people. People were supposed to be under the control of these things. The principalities and powers, the heavens, the stoicheion, whatever kind of beings you're dealing with, they were in charge of people and they ran things that way. They had rules, they had festivals, they had calendar observances because that's man needed structure. But Jesus Christ has changed you. He has defeated the principalities and powers, made public example of them in his son. And you have been known by God. Where's your satisfaction in that? Where does, does that, is that chopped liver? What are you, what are you, what are you, being known by Jesus Christ. I was reading an essay this week by a reasonably well-known local, ex-local pastor. It was abominable. He was talking about the end of Protestantism. It should be reformed Catholicity and move towards the Roman Church as the Roman Church moves towards. And no, like it was no point to the Reformation. I said to myself, but I didn't want to write it in the comment section. I didn't want to start this kind of fight. What about the gospel? Have you heard when, when Martin Luther found salvation by faith? He wasn't just finding a sociological shift that overreacted in a different way than the Franciscans were overreacting. He had found the gospel, that which changes lives. And you can't just set aside, I'm not a Protestant. I have to agree with the Protestants on a lot of stuff. But I don't think we're part of our history of the church. We're part of Jesus Christ. No less, no more, not through centuries of the faith, but right now. Jesus Christ, you. That's the connection. But I'm grateful for the reformers. And anybody who starts saying, hey, let's get used to start moving back towards, I know a lot of dear friends who become Greek Orthodox. I know dear friends who have become Roman Catholic. And I say to myself, this is what the word apostasy has to deal with. But each one of them thought and thinks they're stepping larger and bigger into the more mature. Telling you the truth might make you think unkind thoughts toward me. I don't have a lot of parishioners to spare, so only get angry if you really have to, okay? Don't get offended and like, I'm out of here. Don't get that kind of offense. If you have, I mean, if I, you know, if you're just like, look, Evan, I'm Anglican, you hurt my feelings. Pointy windows are everything to me. My wife's a pointy window. I can understand. Yes, live long and prosper. I'd still worry for your soul because 
the satisfaction you had at first, do you understand the, the weight of what God has done in you that you would never need calendar celebrations, moral law observances, all sorts of things that make you feel ceremony like you're religious. They make much of you, these false teachers, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may, may make much of them. They, they want to, this is how you increase the value of the deeper, the deeper involved pieties of religion. As you keep people from accessing them, they want it more. I mean, this is basic, you know, you tell your kids, no, you can't have any. That. No, I can't tell you about that. No, 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 tell me. We know how it works. Well, these guys know that they can create this, this drive to be more religious by having it be more arcane, distant. You can't be involved unless you go through a, a long course of, of, of devotion. For a good purpose, it is always good to be made much of, and not only when I am present with you. Just as long as it, it's fine to have people step into your life and care for you, obviously your pastors should, but watch out for people who care for you, because are they up to manipulating you back to where you not, should not be? My little children, with whom I am again in travail until Christ be formed in you. It's like, why do I have to do this again? I'm again trying to give birth to you. Or have you give birth to Christ? So that you will understand that that is our religion. That we, born from above, in some way, our lives are now Christ's life. We died with Christ. We were raised with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Somehow, I have to be born alive in Christ. Now, how's that going to be done? I wish I could be present with you now to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. You know, Paul's coming across pretty hard. Oh, you stupid, stupid. He probably didn't say it twice. Galatians. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Let's, let's take that for instance. Let's, uh, do you know themes in the Old Testament? When Paul says the law, he really, he could use it as, sometimes it's the Decalogue, the Ten, sometimes it's all the law of Moses, sometimes it's the Pentateuch, and sometimes it's all the Old Testament. Okay? It depends on, on the context. Do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons. One by a slave and one by a free woman. This is back in Genesis 14 through some more chapters. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, the son of the free woman, through promise. If you know the story, Abraham was promised he was going to have a child. Through Sarah, his wife, his wife Sarah was barren. Excuse me. That uh, is on the podcast. Um, the world could know that. They won't. <laughs> you don't listen to the podcast. Abraham's wife is barren. God says you're going to have a child of the promise. Sarah gets a little impatient. 
Why can't I have a kid? Why don't you sleep with my maid, Hagar, my slave, Egyptian slave? Husband goes, uh, what? Pushes, pushes, pushes. Finally he does. She gets knocked up. Then, of course, the wife who made him go sleep with his maid, then she's all catty and jealous about it. So she has Hagar driven out. Hagar is allowed to come back. She has a baby, Ishmael, who is the father of the Arabs, Ishmaelites. That's the story. A little bit later, Sarah, she gets knocked up with Isaac, the child of the promise. So that's what Paul's pointing to. He says there's a slave woman here, and there is a free woman. And the slave woman produced a child. And what's interesting, he goes, you know, I'm telling you the allegory is this. Verse 24. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Wow, what? Hold it. That's like saying Jewish Nazis. Isn't that? You know, the Nazis are the bad guys. And to ever accuse Jewish people of being Nazis, you just told the Jews they were Arabs. Try that today. Go to Israel. Hey, you guys Arabs? Get your lights knocked out of you. But he's saying that this is what's going on, really. The child of the slave is he who is born children of slavery. And since the old covenant of Sinai, and he says, it, she corresponds to the, now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. For the reason that the Jews were under the slavery to the law, that's why he makes Hagar the mother of the Jews. Though he knows perfectly well in history that Sarah was the mother of the Jews. But he says, no, no, the allegory is this. As I thought about it, I realized that uh, as you look more at that moment in history, why has Hagar even got a child? Because we decided we wanted to have something, we wanted to make something fit this religious demand that actually God, God was going to fulfill the promise. And religion, slavery, is a uh, way for you to fulfill the religion. Okay, well, okay, you're obviously delaying on whatever kind of metaphysical change we could have in Christ. Why don't we just make up for lost time? We'll make a bunch of rules. We'll make a bunch of rituals. And you'll grow fond of that religion that you make. Hagar has the child. Everybody wanted the okay, but then things start happening, bad things, bad relationships. But there's a fondness for Ishmael. He's 13 years old when the promise comes to tell Abraham again, next year you're going to have the child of the promise. And in Genesis 17, here on the left-hand side, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old, and Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael 
might live in thy sight. Can't we just have this work as the religion? Can't we have the way we would make a religion work out for you? Can't you just include us? And do you realize how much destruction has been done to Christianity over two millennia by people who just wanted a little religion with their Jesus? And you say, but there's nothing wrong. Oh, yes, it has the appearance of wisdom. Oh, yes, it's got Christian names all over it. Yes, it's part of Christian history. Yes, it's ancient. Yes, it's beautiful. Yes, it's pious. It's famous. And it's slavery. Unless you walk in Christ. Again, I don't care if you want to have artistic decorations that have Christian value around your life. Understand, it's only decoration. Understand, it's just a holiday our culture takes for Christmas, the birth of Christ. Understand that. Fight against its presence in your life as part of your religion. Your religion is Jesus Christ and him being formed in you. And as soon as you try to make it something else, share the space. Let Ishmael stand in God's eyes as the child of the promise. Why can't you just have that work out? Because the Jerusalem above, verse 26, is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one, this is Isaiah 54, who does not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in travail, for the children of the desolate one are many more than the children of her that is married. Now we brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. You're not the makeup made up world of religion that we've offered instead. Waiting for the reality in your life. You're waiting for the reality, so you want to make a plan, you want to make a program, you want to make it, you know, we could get, you know, get, a, get Ezra to wear a little, you know, a robe, a little sensor, come down the aisle. That would be fun. You'd feel a lot more religious, honest. How if I wore a clerical collar? Would that be good? I mean, I, I, got the, I got the girth, I've got the gray hair. I mean, we could, we could make this work. Within, within a month, you will feel quietly religious in this church. And like it. And be damned. <laughs> oh, no, can you say that word in here? Yeah, because that's the danger here. We start replacing the life in Christ with all sorts of religion. And Paul's going, if there's another gospel out there that, you, that, that, that tells you religion is, is the path you should take, let them be accursed, it says in Galatians. But as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. You remember that? Ishmael started picking. He was a teenager. He was picking on Isaac. As at that time, so it is now. Those who are the are designed replacement for the child of the promise. Whatever you design to re you know what I am about the law. I have a dim view of it. And we sometimes apply it to parenting and the like. We know that parents have to have laws for the kids in their minority. 
But when you don't have the promise, when you have not known God or been known by him, of course someone has to step into your life and make you rules. Tragically, we sometimes people the church with people who are not saved. In other words, they have not experienced the knowledge of God nor known by him. They have not been child of the promises. They've not been born in Christ. Christ was not formed in them. And so the church, not wanting to lose anybody, not wanting to go around, you know, saying to other people, you probably aren't a Christian. We just make a set of rules to make them look like Christians. Because we know, if the Christians were ever told, you know, you only, go out and do what you want this week. That's my advice to you this week. Go out, do what you want. What do you want to do? I want to sin. Okay, okay. now we know. Now we know. Now we know who religion is for. It's for all those people who will go out and sin when the pastor tells them, go out and do what you want. Some of you will go out and do good because that's what you want to do. Not because you thought it was a trick question. Oh, he's probably going to be looking for me down here at John's Alley and I'm going to go help the poor. No, because you want to help the poor. Because you want to do good. You want to be kind to people. Because Christ is formed in you. That's what, the, that's what the fight is. Whenever you're not having Christ formed in you, people run back to the law, run back to the ritual, got to make a religion somehow. Oh, that Ishmael might live in thy sight. He says, you know, we're being persecuted also by those who want this religion. That Jews were chasing the Christians around, being mean. But then he reminds us what actually happened. For what does the scripture say? But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave and her son. For the son of the slave shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. There is a separation in these two things. You, at least in your heart, you need to know that this is a choice between your walk as a real Christian and your walk is a pretend Ishmaelite. But whatever the case, God would rather have the exclusion from the faith be the exclusion of the child or the slave. We don't want slavery in the church. We don't want Christians feeling moved by other than the Spirit of God to love and good works. So, brethren, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Got it? No matter how you design it, it could be pagan elemental spirits, it could be Jewish elemental spirits. doesn't matter, it could be ancient Christian elemental spirits, but whatever the case, Jesus Christ formed in you will make a better person out of you and make you pleasing to God. For freedom, I have the first verse in chapter 5 here because it seemed to fit it, this text better. For freedom, Christ has set us free. That's the reason, so that you would be free. Stand fast, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is a sacred thing. Not sacred like running in church violates the sanctity of the house of God. Not sacred like this is a temple. Not sacred like certain words can't be used. 
It is sacred because this is what the faith really is. This is what the God wants out of you. Wants you set free. Wants you to stand fast in that freedom. That you have a certain... When somebody comes up and says, you believe, you know, you don't think you should tithe? Tap your chest and say, Gentile. Not under the law of Moses. You're under the law of Moses. Do you understand? Say, because you know that someone who was trying to get you to tithe doesn't understand that Jesus Christ formed in you is getting you to be generous. Only the Ishmaelites are trying to get you to tithe. Only the slaves are trying to get you to tithe. Jesus wants to make you a nice person. And nice to others, and nice with your dollars, and nice with your time, and nice with all sorts of things. But Jesus doesn't want you to submit again to the yoke of slavery. It is slavery, and it will make you feel like you're really sanctified. Don't do it. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful. Set us free from our own devisings. Remind us what it is to know you. Remember in us the satisfaction we had at first. Help us understand what the power of your Holy Spirit can do in our lives with each other. Keep us from being obnoxious about it, Lord, but keep us defending the faith. In your Son's name, amen.